of the message this morning is, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. This morning, have you, has anybody ever had a dream? Like, most of the time, it's when you're a kid. Like, uh, you know, uh, I remember uh, when I was in second grade, the teacher said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I had just read Curious George and the Fireman, you know, at the time. And I'm like, I want to be a fireman, right? And she's like, really? And I was like, yes. And she said, oh, so you want to pull up in a big red truck and have the siren going and blow the horn and climb the ladder and slide down the pole? And I'm like, yes. And she was like, and then you run into the fire and you save everybody. And I said, no. I just want to have the uniform and the truck and the pole and the noise. And everybody say, look, there goes the fireman. But I, don't, I want to be a fireman without the fire. <laughs> That's what I want to be. But my biggest dream in my entire life, uh, you're going to laugh after I tell you this dream. My dad's from Louisville, Kentucky, and he raised me right to love the University of Kentucky Wildcat basketball team, right? Um, My brother-in-law, who's here today, he's from Indiana, so I barely like him. Um, But my... (laughs) My dad raised me right to love the University of Kentucky, and so he, he... prepared for me this incredible backyard uh, basketball area. It was like a half-court area, right? It wasn't like, I'm just going to throw a, something on the garage and it's like seven and a half feet. and everything. No, he made it good, right? Because he was like, I'm going to train my boy. He's going to go to the University of Kentucky. It's going to be great. And so every day I would go out and play basketball, and I loved it. I loved basketball. I was pretty good. But when I would walk into my backyard uh, area to play basketball, it turned into a coliseum, right? It turned into Rupp Arena, 30,000 people yelling, row, 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 row. That's the name I gave myself. I don't, I don't know. Row, 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 row. And so, like, I'm there, and, and uh, you know, and, and I, I listen, a lot of times people who speak or preach, they'll exaggerate things. This story I'm about to tell you, this is no exaggeration. I was this crazy. Some would say stupid. I was this crazy, right? So every day, I'd walk out there, and before I played, I mean, we did the whole thing. Like, I heard the row, row, it's, yeah, yeah, woo. And then it was like, every day, now starting six foot four sophomore from Atlanta, Georgia, Jason Rhodes. I would run out and high five no one. The funniest thing is the 6'4 sophomore, because I'm closer to 5'4, okay? My dad's 6'2, a giant of a man. My mom's 4'11 and 3 quarters. Thanks, mom. So they would announce me, and I'm high fiving everyone. I'm pointing in the stands, you know. My neighbors are like, there's the kid. What's he doing? You know, and I'd play, and we won multiple national championships. I was in college for a long time, um, and we won and won and won. But I, it didn't stop here, and this is where you might not believe it, but my sister can attest. Then I would go, and I would do the post-game press conference. And I had the big boom box, right? And you had to push, push the big play button and the crazy orange thing, push it down at the same time to record, and right? And so then they're like, you know, the question would be asked in my head, and I would always go, well, first of all, I want to thank the Lord um, and my teammates. Uh, if it wasn't for them, I don't know why I changed my voice. <laughs> 
But I was like, you know, look, man, I'm in, uh, I can shoot with my left hand. I can shoot with my right hand. I'm amphibious, you know. <laughs> but that was my dream. I wanted to be a college basketball star at the University of Kentucky. And um, I played uh, seventh grade and eighth grade. Well, I played in seventh grade. I sat in eighth grade. I sat in ninth grade on the bench, you know, and I'm like, Maybe I should start preaching and singing or something, you know. But, man, that was my dream. You know? and, and still to this day, when I watch the University of Kentucky, and they just happen to be the number one team in the country right now, I'm like, that, that could have been me. No. Right? This morning I want to look at the passage, Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. Genesis chapter 37. Verse 5, and it says this, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated, it, hated him all the more. Well, the first thing that, that jumps out uh, in my mind when I read that scripture Joseph had a dream when he told it to his brothers. It's the fact that his brothers already hated him. <laughs> they didn't hate him because of the dream. They didn't hate him because, oh, you just, you know, you're, you're just a little brother. He was 17 years old at the time. And uh, they didn't hate him because of the dream. They had already hated him. If you look at uh, verse 3, just a, a few, a few uh, passages up. It says, now, jo now Jacob, Joseph's father, loved Joseph more than any other son, and he made him an ornate robe for him, or the coat of many colors, and the brothers hated him. So they hated him, why? Because his, their dad preferred him over them. He would send the, uh, those, those brothers out into the pasture to work all day, to watch the flock, to do the hard work. And Joseph got to sit at home, and his hands were soft, right? He had this beautiful robe, and Dad, you know, fed him the, you know, good stuff. And he probably, uh, you know, was just like, hey, man, this is the life. And then his dad would send him as a spy. Hey, go tell me what the boys are doing. Come and report back to me. So Joseph went out in this one particular time. He came back and said, Dad, they're not doing what you told them to do. You ever had a little brother or sister like that? <laughs> hey, Mom, Dad, they're not doing it. They're not telling you. No. Listen, it's crazy because you used to have to run to your mom and dad to tell on them. Now, Amanda and I at work will get texts from one of our kids. Abby's not doing what she's supposed to do. Text. And Abby will be like, I'm not sure if Jalen's going to text you anything, but I did everything I was supposed to do. <laughs> so Joseph went and he told on his brothers and they got in trouble. And, and so we find here uh, in verse 7, he goes, he goes back out, excuse me, verse 5, Joseph had a dream when he told it to his brothers. They hate him, hated him all the more. Verse 7 he begins to tell them the dream. He says this. Now remember, they hate him, right? He says, guys, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly 
My sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves bowed to mine. Verse 8, his brother said this, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him even more. So I'm not going to read this, this uh, passage, but he then tells them, you know what? I didn't have just one dream. I had two dreams. Let me tell you the second dream. He says there was the sun and the moon and 11 stars. So it was like there was mom, there was dad, there was 11 of you, and you all bowed to me. Listen, if you have a brother or sister and they already hate you, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't tell them that dream. But in particular, sometimes when you have a dream in your heart, even when it's a God dream, even when it's from the Lord, like, and you know, man, something incredible is going to happen. The Lord's given me creativity to do this or that, that or to say this or that. You need to be careful who you share God's vision with. Because when you have even a God dream, there are literally people who want to kill that dream on the inside of you. Why? Because they don't have that dream. God didn't speak to them in that way. And they're like, well, if, if I can't do it, I don't want you to do it either. You've got to be careful who you share the dream with. And so, again, Joseph was 17 years old. Genesis 37.3. I already read that. Sorry about that. Uh, verse 19, uh, he's walking back out. He'd already told him about the dream. They hate him. He's walking back out. Maybe it was a couple of days later or a week later. The dad sent him out there again to spy. And they said in verse 19, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits and say a ferocious animal devoured him. And then let's see what comes of his dream. Again. When God gives you a dream, or when you have a dream to say, man, I, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go to college. This is what I want to be. This is what, listen, you need to be careful who you share your dreams with. You need to find somebody, whether it's a mom or a dad or a pastor or a, a, a teacher or someone that will encourage you and say, I believe in you. You can do it. You can fulfill that dream. You can accomplish those things. Be careful who you share your dreams with. And so the story goes like this. They wanted to kill him, but they decided, well, first we're going to throw him into this big pit, a cistern. And we're going to throw him into the pit, and we're going to cover it up. And, we're, and they went off, and they ate lunch, and they began to think about it, right? They're eating lunch. Joseph's in the pit. And wonder, I wonder what was going through his mind. There he is, all by himself in darkness. And I'm sure there might have been a time or two, because he, he doesn't know what they were going to do. Are they going to leave me here to die? Are they going to physically, you know, kill me? Or are they just playing a game with me? What are they going to do? And I'm sure there were moments when he was sitting in that pit where he said, but God, you, you said this. 
God, you gave me these two dreams, and, and, and you begin to tell me and show me what these things may, may do and, and may be. And so, but now I'm in this pit, and I'm going to die. Is that dream, was, was it really even from you? Did I really even hear your voice? Have you ever been in that type of place where I thought I was doing what you told me to do, and it's not ending up the way I thought it was going to be? God, was it even you in the first place? So there he is in, in the pit, and sometimes we can find ourselves in a pit of depression, right? A pit of de- despair, a pit of confusion, a pit of, of hatred, a pit of bitterness, and I've been there, guys. And when you walk in bitterness, and you walk in that hatred, and even you walk in that confusion, it eats you alive, doesn't it? And then you hear the voice of the Lord and you're like, yeah, but I'm here. You've already spoken to me once and it's led to a pit. So I don't even know if I can trust you anymore. But that's not how Joseph was. Joseph, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, if you will, he he stayed faithful. So the brothers were eating lunch. They decided as they were eating, well, we probably shouldn't kill him. What we're going to do, we're going to take his robe and we're going to rip it up and we're going to put uh, sheep's blood on it and we're going to make it look like he was attacked by a lion. But what do we do with him? And as they were eating, here comes a, a caravan of people. So they just said, hey, we can sell him as a slave to these people. So they took his coat and they ripped it up. They put blood on it. They took him out of the, the pit. And he was probably like, whoo, she thinks, guys. Man, thank God y'all are just pulling my leg, right? <laughs> and there's, they sold him for 20 shekels. I don't know what a shekel's worth. But uh, I would have thought that I would be worth more than 20 shekels. <clears throat> but they sold him for 20 shekels. And there he was, a slave. So he goes from the pit to slavery. He still has these dreams that the Lord has birthed in his heart. As he, as he uh, uh, gets into Egypt, the, the, slave, or the caravan decides to sell him to the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was a ruler in Egypt, and you know he, he bought Joseph. And the Bible says this, when Joseph went into the house of Potiphar, everything that Potiphar had was blessed. Now think about that. Here's a young man, 17 years of age, who was his father's favorite. He was the one. He finds himself in a pit about to be killed. He finds himself in slavery. Now he's still a slave, but everything that he does and everything that uh, surrounds him begins to be blessed. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, said this. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor. I'm going to say that again. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted him uh, with everything. Everything was in Joseph's care. 
from the time that he put uh, Joseph in charge of the household, all that he owned was blessed. It goes on to say Potiphar did not worry about anything except what he was going to eat and drink. Why? Because he took this slave boy who everything that he did was blessed. But why was it blessed? Was Joseph incredible? Was Joseph great? Was Joseph all-powerful? No. The Bible said clearly Joseph was given what? Favor from the Lord. And guys, as I was studying for this message, it really occurred to me maybe for the first time. Everybody, so many of us know this story, right? If you were raised in church at all, I was raised in church, and we had these flannel boards, right? And there was Joseph and his coat of many colors, right? And they're like, you know, and so we know the story, and then we'd rip the cover the the, the 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 coat off and we you know then he put the up the other flannel board where now the coat has blood on it and it's ripped right but we know this story I know this story but it hit me that it hit me a, a, sort of in a new way I understood this that while he was in the pit what did he have he had favor when he was sold into slavery He had favor. When he was a slave at Potiphar's house, he had favor. I want you to understand our position and our surroundings does not determine if we have favor or not. You might have been fired from your job. You got favor. It doesn't feel like it, but you've got favor. You might have went through, listen, I want, to, I, want, I want you to know how special our pastors are. Pastor Rich and Vanessa, and the things that they have faced over the last several years. But this is what makes them special, guys. They are so real and vulnerable. Because you know what? They understand. I'm hurting. I've went through difficult things. I've went through what I would consider hell, right? And yet they know the people that we talk to day in, day out, week in, week out, they also go through those times of the pit of despair, the pit of devastation, the pit of tragedy. And so they say, Lord, I don't understand it and I absolutely hate it, but I will trust you. And he'll cut this off the tape. I know him, right? But here's the thing. When, we, when, when they come back home, I want you guys to wrap your arms of love around them and say thank you for leading this church to do great things for the glory of God. They're special. Do you believe that? They are. And so we can find ourselves in a pit, but we still have favor. We can find ourselves devastated, but understand we can still have favor This morning. Do you love the Lord? Man, I sure do. And so he's in the house of Potiphar. So we go, uh, Genesis chapter 39, verse 7. It says, now Joseph was well built and handsome. Verse 7 says that. I feel like that's why Rich wanted me to speak this message. He wanted you to get, 
good picture of what Joseph <laughs> might have looked like. Well built and handsome, 5'6", 250. So Joseph was well built and handsome and after a while his master's wife took notice and said come to bed with me but Joseph refused he said with me in charge my master does not concern himself with anything in the house everything he owns he has entrusted uh, to my care no one is greater in the house than I am except for him and he has withheld nothing from me but you Scripture continues to say that she didn't give up. It literally said this, day after day after day, she would say, Joseph, you know, you're well-built and handsome. So she would constantly go after Joseph, and he would refuse until one day she goes up, maybe sneaks behind him, and she goes to give him a hug, and he was like, no, and he runs out of the room and she grabs onto his cloak and he's like I ain't even staying I don't care about the cloak he runs out so she has the cloak in his hand in her hand she does what she's gonna do she goes to Potiphar and says this slave that you brought into our house has tried to have his way with me and so Potiphar goes to Joseph and the scripture says, Genesis 39, 19, when his master heard the story his wife had told him, he burned with anger and he put him in prison. And so he's went from the pit to, the, to slavery to prison. Sometimes when you're dreaming the dreams of God, you're going to be locked in the prison of false accusations. You're going to be locked in the prison of, of jealousy, again, from others who say, if I can't have it, you can't have it. And you'll find yourself, most of the time, no fault of your own in a place that you did not want to be. He found himself locked in a prison because of a, a lie that was told on him. Today, do you feel like the dreams that you've been dreaming. If there's students here today, the, you know, the, the first time you stepped foot at Cal Poly or Cuesta, as a freshman, you walked onto that, that campus and you said, I'm going to conquer the world. And maybe it's the end of, you know, you had your freshman year or maybe you're a sophomore, maybe you're close to graduation and you're like, it's not what I thought it was going to be. I had these big dreams, these big goals, these big desires, but today I feel like I'm locked in a prison of failure. And I want you to know, the scripture says again, while Joseph was in prison, everything that he did was blessed, and he found favor with the warden and with God. So much so that as a prisoner... The warden said, you pretty much have my job. I'm going to go just eat and drink whatever I want. You take care of it. This morning, 
When I talk about dreams, I think of my sister. I think of my brother-in-law. And I'm going to invite them in just a moment to come up and just sort of as an illustration. You know, we'll never know Joseph. We'll never really, you know, I mean, we'll meet him in heaven and he can tell us stories. But I'm, I'm uh, seven years older than Carrie, my, my younger sister. My, uh, it was different than Joseph's house because uh, she never came and said, one day you're going to bow to me. But the day she was born, my older sister and I, whoo, we bowed to her. <laughs> She's special. And uh, from the time she was about 10 or 11 years old, she came in, uh, to the living room one day and told mom and dad, she's like, God's called me to be a missionary. And from the time she was 11 years old, she put maps of the world, you know, in, in her room. And Lord, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? And, and uh, it wasn't very long that the Lord put the, uh, one of the most important countries in the world on her heart, China. Lord, where do you want me to go? And he put China on her heart. And so, you know, she goes through high school. And, and uh, she was my dad's favorite because uh, he always says that, that uh, Rhonda was smart and Jason could sing, but Carrie could do everything. <laughs> it must have been because I didn't go to the University of Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, she goes through high school, goes to college, meets this incredible young man, and, and God calls them to China. And they've served there for 12 years. I'm going to invite them up this morning because they've had a bit of a Joseph moment over the last several uh, months and years. So, Thank you so much. So I'll try to get through this without crying, but, you know, <laughs> we're the same family. <laughs> so, uh, just a, a little bit, going, going backwards a little bit, we're going to share kind of some of the opportunities that we've had um, over the past 12 years. Um, you know, as you know, China is a closed country. It's closed to the gospel. It's closed to missionaries. So we didn't get to go in and say, hey, we're missionaries. We're, this is what we're doing. We had to go in as teachers and, and language school students. But, um, you know, God has been so faithful. And just like Jason said, he's given us favor. In times that, that the country and, and the government said, no, we're closed to the gospel. We're not open. Nobody told God that because he would show up and, and he would surprise us all. So we're going to show a couple of pictures, tell a couple of stories, and, and then kind of tell you the shift that has happened in our life. Um, I think we have a, a few pictures. Uh, this is actually our family. Um, we have two little kids, uh, Mia. The, the youngest, she is seven years old, and our son Kai, um, he is 10. And Kai was actually born in Beijing. Um, no, it doesn't make him Chinese because <laughs> he has big blonde curls. <laughs> but um, so we've been in China 12 years. I think there's another picture after that. And, and again, as, as we've had the opportunities, um, 
God has opened so many doors. So we were teachers the first time. And we did things like going to a local university and doing some English corners where we would basically go and just let kids practice their English with us. Well, the com- the, the, it was a communist university. They contacted us and they said, hey, as Americans, we would love you guys to come and, and talk about a cultural holiday and we would love for you to share just how that is in America, what you do, what it means. And we said, sure, we'd love to. What holiday are you thinking? They said, do you know anything about Easter? And yes, we do. We'd love to. So we went into this communist university. There were about 500 students packed out. And we were able to lay out the full gospel from crucifixion to resurrection about what God has done, how he sent his son. And so at the end, we actually had uh, some girls come up and ask questions. So I had the parallel Bible there because at that point, I didn't know much Chinese. Um, We studied for three years and I still feel kind of lost sometimes. Um, But we had the parallel Bible there and we were able to look up scriptures and go through it and I would explain it in English and then they were able to read it in Chinese and just let it hit home and they just kept asking questions kept asking questions and you know it was so exciting so exciting we'd have Chinese students come up and say I'm not a Christian yet but I have questions and I loved that term I'm not a Christian yet because you could see that we're the hand of God you could see God moving and they thought like you know it's inevitable I'm going to become a Christian but I've got these questions if you could answer them for me Uh, I think we have another picture there this is one of my favorites. Um, so in China, you've heard so much about the underground church. And it is. It's still existent. It's still thriving. Um, again, they have to be very careful. But we, uh, in our time before China, we actually were children's pastors at a church plant in Orlando. And so we love kids' ministry. We love, uh, the, you know, because we feel like, you know, if you can teach a child, they will grow up being rooted in 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 Jesus but also as parents children are our heart so if you can grasp the child and love their child you got the parents too and you can just show them the love of Jesus through loving their children so we uh, were contacted by one of the ladies in the picture and she said you know our church um, and a lot of the network of underground churches want to do children's ministry but we don't know what to do and we just really need some help. Would you be able to come and teach the leaders uh, of all of our underground churches in our city about children's ministry? And we said, yes, this is what we've been dreaming of. This is the impact we want to have on the young people of China. And so we, we did one session and they came up after and said, we love this. Can we do it every Saturday? And we said, oh, I don't think we have that much information. But we said, okay, we'll do it for once a month. And so for nine months, we did a children's ministry seminar in Chinese. And this was the network of, of all the leaders just interested in children's ministry for all the house churches in that city. And it was just so amazing to see them get ignited with a passion of doing ministry for kids. You know, and we did simple things that we kind of took advantage of knowing like simple object lessons that you and me have probably seen a million times. But explaining that to them, they were like, yes, that makes so much sense. So it was such an amazing opportunity. 
But you know, as and, and I'm going to give Zach a time to share. But um, as we as we were there, uh, we started seeing some shift and, and some change in in the political and the and the spiritual climate. And um, you know, it wasn't long before uh, we started seeing doors closing. Stop me if if I'm taking too much. <laughs> I want to let him too. But <laughs> no, it's all right. Yeah, thank you, babe. Jason, love you, ma'am. Even though I'm from Indiana, and if you guys don't know, that's a, a serious rivalry, and um, I still love them. This awesome family, I, I got to marry into them. So, as as you guys can tell, what we wanted to do, uh, we wanted to share just a couple of pictures and a couple of stories. We wanted you to feel the heart of how dearly we love China and that amazing country. And God is God is moving there. You wouldn't know it, but there's six or seven percent of the population now are believers because of underground churches like this that are rising up. And there are above ground churches that kind of look like this. There's a few of those, but man, it's the underground church that is really just just moving. And God's spirit is moving in that. The last three years that we had in China, so we've been there for 12 years, and this last term we were in the city of Shanghai, 32 million people in the city of Shanghai. If y'all think you've seen crowds, maybe Disneyland or something, you've not seen crowds till you've been to Shanghai. But it'll break your heart. We would go into the subway, and we go into the subway in the morning, be crowded in and all that. We could look out on that crowd and know that hardly any of them in that city knew Jesus. And it would just break your heart. There's so much work to do. We need to pray for that country. We wanted to share some stories just to let you know, like, man, we, we love China. So these last three years we were in Shanghai, we were on staff at this thing called an international church that the government let exist, and, and we had some amazing fruit. We, we sowed a lot of seeds in those first few years. We sowed a lot of seeds. And in this last season, we saw a lot of salvations. We saw baptisms. I, I did baptisms in several different places and venues, and, and we just saw, saw a lot of fruit. We saw a lot of fruit from all the seeds that we've been sowing. Things were going good for us. It was about this time last year. And things were just good. Maybe kind of like, maybe kind of like Joseph, right? He's out in the field and he's telling his brother, man, things were good for Joseph at that time. Things were good for us, and we just felt, man, I, I just, it just, with all the good things happening around us, we weren't kicked out. The government did, didn't come in and, and pull us out or anything else. But we just felt felt doors closing. We just felt doors closing. And it wasn't that we didn't love China anymore. We we will always love that beautiful country and the people there, and and we will send people to China. But we just felt, man, these doors just seemed to be closing. And it was not some easy thing. I didn't come to Carrie and said, you know what? I think we're going to, it's time to leave China. Because we had dedicated everything we had to that, that country. It was a, a, a difficult process to say, you know, I think God is moving us. We see these doors kind of closing in various ways. And, and I, just, I just feel that it's going to, that, he, that he's moving us. And so we started looking around. Uh, we actually got an invitation to go to Hong Kong. I didn't feel right. Didn't feel right in our spirit uh, for us for us to go there and, and and to follow that. We got a couple other invitations. Like man, we we just we're just not sure. Uh, we thought about maybe is it is it time to come back to America to our home country? And we said no, I don't think that's it either. And we just couldn't find it. We just couldn't find peace in it. And then we got an email from our leadership team and the Assemblies of God that this church is a part of, leadership team in Europe. And they said, hey, do you want to come to Vienna, Austria? And the kind of work that you're doing, this international church, you want to plant a new church in Vienna? We said, oh, man, we don't know. I think well, we need to pray about this. We took our whole family, took our kids, went to Vienna. Can we tell you in Vienna, the first two people we met at church, Jason, were Chinese. First people, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, so one thing, because I, I think I even struggled a little more than Zach, um, because I tied my call. 
because I'd, I'd been called for so long. And I tied that call to China, to, to the country. And I felt like if I can't be here, God, I'm not going to be used. And so it, I struggled so much. So even in our visit to Vienna to see if, if, is this the place that God's calling us next? I kept praying, God, just give me a sense of home. Give me a sense of home. I don't know how you're going to do this in this country, uh, a, a language I've never spoken before, in a country I've never been to before, but give me a sense of home. And when we walked into the church that we'll be working with, uh, the first lady I met, um, was Chinese. And I looked and I said, hey, where are you from? And she said, oh, I'm from China. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, but where are you from in China? And she said, oh, you won't know it. And I said, try me. And she said, I'm from Jiangsu province, which was about an hour from where we were living. And I looked at her and in Chinese, I said, Shanghai, which means I live in Shanghai. And she started crying and she said, I miss my home so bad. And I said, I know, I love your home. I said, but we're going to move here and we're going to be friends. And she began to tell me about how she never had become a believer until she came to Vienna. And God began to reveal to me I'm not going to be in China, but I'm going to have still a reach within China. Because you know what? When Chinese believer, when people get saved, they don't keep it to themselves. And they're going to have a reach within China that we never had. So it began to open my eyes, too, that, you know, I'm no longer in this country that I've grown up loving and that I've planted roots and that we've planted seed after seed and maybe we never see those seeds come to fruition but God knows and God's still watering and we had somebody kind of pour into us and, and say you know none of your experience is wasted none of that time is wasted because you know you don't go through three years of language school to learn Mandarin and then move to a German speaking country and then go not go why God <laughs> because <laughs> three years of Mandarin I mean, it hurts. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it, but just reminded that God never makes mistakes. He, he never wastes any opportunities. And so, you know, as we moved to Vienna, and again, sorry, stop me. <laughs> as we moved to Vienna, we see that, that God's not only opening doors for the local Austrian people, but also the international community that we're going to be able to work with in the church and the Chinese community that we know is there. When I was doing kind of a, a praying, um, when we were staying in Vienna uh, for the couple of days, we were walk. I, I said, you know, I'm just going to go take a walk. I just want to have some time of prayer and just walk the city. And I began to walk, and I was just walking up and down, passing cafe after cafe. And all of a sudden, I turned a corner, and I'm walking, and I look up, and I'm standing in front of the Chinese embassy. And I begin to weep, and I'm like, okay, God, I see. You still are going to give me a piece of home. You know, no matter where I go, you're going to give me a piece of home. And and I know that this was a big change and a big uprooting for us. But he reminded me that my location might change, but my purpose won't. And that I need to keep my hands open and my heart open to what he's going to do. Because he's going to give us a reach within China greater than we ever had before. Somehow. And we might not see it now, but he's going to do great things. I love you. I wanted to 
jump up here because she just made my next point. Sometimes when things change, it might be a pit, it might be a prison, it may just be, hey, the doors are closing. The pit and the prison lead to the purpose. Zach and Carrie would have never got to Austria without being in China, planting seeds, seeing great things happen. And great things are going to continue to happen, Carrie and Zach, just as you, you've said. There's no way Joseph would have, would have been able to walk to Egypt as a 17-year-old boy and say, hey, there's a famine coming and I've got a plan to save the world, right? So we find Joseph in the pit. We find Joseph in prison. He found favor in prison. Until one day, Pharaoh, literally the most powerful man on earth at the time, had a dream that he didn't understand. And there was a, a guy who said, hey, there's, a, guy, there's a, a prisoner who's basically become the warden. He can interpret, interpret dreams. He told me about a dream that I had. In fact, while I was in prison with him, he said, I told him a dream that I had, and he said, that dream means that you're about to go back and work for Pharaoh. You're going to be in the palace again. And just a day later, I was set free. He said, Pharaoh, maybe you need to bring this guy Joseph up. And so Joseph goes, Pharaoh tells him the, the, the dream, and he interprets the dream. And, and long story short, this is what he said, a famine is coming. Pharaoh and it's going to last for seven years but it, I have a plan and so from the pit to the prison to the palace the Bible says that Joseph found favor he found favor with Pharaoh the most powerful man on the face of the earth and Pharaoh put him in charge of everything came up with a plan that that you know they began to to you know save and 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 store and 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 plant and, and all of these things to the point where when the famine came not only was all of Egypt saved but people from all over the world at that point that time would go and they would be given food we find in Genesis chapter 50 the brothers of Joseph Walk into the palace of Pharaoh. And they stand before a guy that they didn't recognize. And they bowed. And they said, hey, we're the children of Israel. We're the people of Israel. Got a dad back home. We're all going to starve. We need help. I want to challenge you to go read this story. Amazing. I'm sort of giving you an overview. And Joseph looks at his brothers and he takes off his, you know, the the you know the prince garments or whatever it is to the point where they can recognize him. And they look up and they say, Oh, we'll be your slaves. Just save our father. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 says this. And this is what Joseph said to his brothers, the people who put him in the pit that led to prison. 
He said, what you intended to do to me to harm me, God intended it for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What you intended to do to harm me, God, His intention is to do what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I want to tell you, every pit experience we experience, every prison experience we experience is always done. We don't like it. Sometimes we detest it. Sometimes we hate it. But if we will stay faithful and we will find favor, it's always for the saving of many lives. So when we hear our pastor tell these stories of things that that have impacted them and, and things that they, listen, they understand it's for the good of San Luis Obispo and for the glory of God. It's always for the saving of many lives. And when Zach and Carrie received a call, to China they found out the call is to the world with every head bowed and every eye eyes uh, closed no one moving around or looking around in this moment some of you might feel like you're in the pit experience right now Some of you might feel like this morning that you're in the prison time where you just feel like I I, I have no freedom to do what I want to do or be who I want to be. The dreams that that are in my heart are almost dead. And yet the Lord is saying, if you'll just trust me, I'm going to give you favor so the pit and the prison lead to the purpose. I sent you to China so that you could impact China, but also so that the saving of many lives in Vienna and all over Europe. I allowed you to go through certain circumstances and situations. I allowed you to feel pain, but I was always with you. As the band played earlier, there's another in the fire. Listen, he's always with you, and he's always giving you favor, and he's always giving you hope, and he's always giving you, the Bible says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. He's always giving you the the joy of the Lord that can become your strength even in the midst of the pit and the prison. And so one day we can literally see as Joseph saw what must he thought have thought when those palace doors opened and he saw his brothers marching down towards him and begin to bow. He said, listen, the dream was never about me. It was never about the fact that they would bow to me. It was always about the saving of many lives. Because listen, Joseph's dream didn't just save his family, did it? It saved the entire population of what would become Israel. And because that entire population was saved, listen, the, 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 uh, 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 the, the, the genealogies continued and brought our Savior. As Carrie said and as Zach said, 
what and what Amanda said even during the offering little message what we're going to experience later God is all already preparing for now so with every head bowed and every eye closed and nobody moving around I'm not going to embarrass any anybody for anything in the world but if you would say Jason right now I'm going through that pit experience I just simply want God to wrap his arms around me I want to feel that that love and that favor of God I'm willing to trust him if that's you I just want you to slip up your hand I'm going through that pit experience I see your hand I see your hand hands all over the place listen I'm going through that time but I want to trust him and I want to find that favor there might be some of you that would say, Jason, today uh, I'm going through that prison experience. I feel locked up in chains with my goals, dreams, desires, and all of those things. If that's you, I just want to find the favor of God in the prison. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And there might be some in this place that would say, Jason, today, at this point in my life, I'm not even living for the Lord the way, you know, I I want to. Or maybe you've never even desired to. Maybe you just, you know, like to come to church, but you've never given your heart and life to the Lord. And you want to find your purpose today. Today's the day for that, guys. If there's anybody in this place that would say today is my day to either make things right with God or come to a salvation knowledge of Jesus for the very first time. If that's anybody in this place with every head bowed, every eye closed, if there's anybody, you can slip up your hand quickly and put it right back down. If there's anybody today, I see your hand today. If there's anybody else that would join this gentleman, anybody else that would say today's my day. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for those that raise their hand for the pit, raise their hand for the prison, and then we're going to, to pray for this, uh, this uh, gentleman who said, today's my day to make things right with the Lord. Today's my day to come and find my purpose. Today's my day to come and, and ask the Lord to challenge and change me. So, Father, I pray right now for those that are in this church, God, that uh, my wife and I love so much. We love this place. We love our pastors. We, we love this city. And God, I pray for those that are going through that pit experience. Lord, the, they, they could be, uh, you know, feeling uh, depressed, discouraged, you know, uh, devastated in some way. But God, I pray that you would, they would feel your love and they would feel your favor. Lord, even today when they walk out of this place, they would walk with the favor of God that is evident that they could say, oh yeah, I can feel it, I can experience it, I can see it. I pray for those that are going through that time where they feel locked in chains, Lord, maybe emotionally, maybe uh, uh, career-wise, Lord. There might be some shifting and some changing going on, but give them uh, uh, the understanding that if they just trust you, you're going to make a way there seems to be no way. And I pray for this young man that said, today is my day to make things right with the Lord. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to uh, pray a prayer of commitment to the Lord. I'm going to ask every believer in the house to repeat this after me. 
And I want you to pray it. If you pray it, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that he is who, who he said he uh, what, uh, is, that he would, they would forg- he would forgive your sins and you'd be a new creation. So let's pray. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today and I thank you that you have a purpose for me. I ask you to forgive me of every sin. I no longer live for myself. I no longer live for the world around me. But I want to live for you. I want to find my purpose in you. I want your favor. And I accept your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand.